Right, well, welcome. My name's Jodie. For those of you who don't know me, I'm on the leadership team here at Epping Forest Community Church. And we're in a series called Faith in Action. And last week, we started to look at the character of Daniel in the Old Testament, which they're very excited about in the children's work. <laughs> um, so for anyone who was here last week, can you shout out anything that we learned about Daniel? Anything about his character? Anyone remember anything? He was devoted and he trusted in God. Gold star. He was resolute. He was a man of integrity. He was faithful. He was handsome. Yes. <laughs> Won't ask why you remember that one. Uh, he was smart. He was repentant. He was disciplined. Daniel's getting very excited up there how we're describing him. So. <laughs> he was a vegetarian or even vegan. He looked after his friends. Wonderful. So we're going to pick up where we left off with Daniel. And we learned that Daniel had been taken from Jerusalem into captivity when um, the Babylonians came and he was taken on the journey to Babylon to serve in the courts of the king. And he became one of the trusted advisors. And he rose to prominence um, because of his integrity, because of the way he acted. And we saw a few cases where his life was in danger, but he held true to the God that he served. So we're going to pick up Daniel in, Daniel, in the book of Daniel. In Daniel, we finished Daniel chapter 2. And at the end of Daniel chapter 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar falling on his face, worshipping God, praising God, and praising Daniel. And then we turn over to Daniel chapter 3, and we realize that Nebuchadnezzar didn't quite grasp who God was didn't quite grasp that this was the God who deserved his worship, the only true God, because we see that he makes a huge gold statue and asks everyone in the land to bow down and worship it. Now, the, Daniel chapter 3 doesn't actually mention Daniel. Um, most likely, Daniel at this point was away on assignment um, for the king, but we don't know for sure. But he doesn't feature in this story. So we're just going to briefly stop by Daniel chapter 3 because it has one of my favorite verses in, which has already really come up in some of the testimonies this morning. But when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship the golden statue and the consequences being thrown in the fiery furnace, they stand before the king and they say, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. But if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Yeah. Now, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's... I think it sums up, for me, how I want to live my life following Jesus. I'm not following him because of what he can do for me. 
in my life here on earth. I'm not following him to make my life easy. I'm following him because he's the King of Kings and he's the Lord of Lords and he deserves to be worshipped. And even if he doesn't do what I want, and even if he doesn't do it in the time that I want it, and even if I go through the storm and I never see that answer, he still deserves my worship and I'm not going to change my devotion to him. So I thought we couldn't pass through Daniel chapter 3 without just stopping and pausing on that verse. And I actually did a talk on this um, passage probably back in 2009. It's on the EFCC website if you want to learn more about how to live lives of faith when our circumstances seem like that even if he doesn't, part of this verse. So back to Daniel, our character who we're, we're looking at at the moment. And his famous encounter with the lions. That's what we're going to get to today. So this is recorded in Daniel chapter 6. And we first met Daniel last week at the beginning of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, when Daniel was a young man in exile in Babylon and serving the king. And now we pick up the story more than 50 years later, when Nebuchadnezzar's 40-year-long reign has come to an end. There's been a number of other kings that couldn't quite match up to the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar, and they didn't last long for one reason or another. And we get to the point where the Persians have overtaken Babylon, and King Darius is the new king. Through all these kings, through all these changes, through the long reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel remained a faithful servant of the kings, and he was good at his job, and every new king appointed him as one of their trusted advisors. We've already mentioned some of these, and these are some of the words that we talked about for Daniel last week. We looked at how he trusted God, how he was devoted, how he was good at his job, and he excelled. And today we're going to pick up on Daniel's integrity. So in Daniel chapter 6, we see that, um, as I say, Darius has appointed Daniel as one of his trusted, trusted advisors. And we're going to pick up in verse 3, where it says, Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by the exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the tatraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So the advisors were looking for a way to, to discredit Daniel, but they couldn't find anything. He performed his duties with excellence, with dedication. However hard they looked, they couldn't uncover anything to bring Daniel down. Now, for those of you who were here for our um, look at Esther that Julian took us through a few weeks ago, this is in stark contrast to, for me, for Haman. Haman was obviously good at his job. He'd become the chief advisor, the prime minister for the king. Um, so from the king's vantage point, he was, he was a good man. But from Mordecai's vantage point, we know that actually the situation was somewhat different. He was selfish. 
He, yeah, he had selfish motives. He was scheming to bring the Jews to destruction so that ultimately he could be glorified and promoted. So we're looking at Daniel and his integrity. Unlike Haman, who I'd say was the opposite of having integrity, Daniel was the same when he was before the king as he was when he was in his own bedroom, as he was when he was with all the other advisors. He, that integrity, he was, it was through him, wherever he was, whoever he was with. When I think of integrity, um, I think of my dad. And some of you know my dad. Um, hopefully you'll agree that he's a man of integrity. But for years, my dad worked in London as a, in a solicitor's firm, and he cost the bills for how much people had to pay solicitors. Was it his passion? No. But he needed, at the time in his life, when he needed something to put food on the table, this is what God provided for him. So he did it with excellence and with dedication. And sometimes he'd have to go to a judge and defend the bills that people had to pay. If a client was saying, I don't want to pay that, that's inflated, or when the um, defendant um, loses a trial and they have to pay uh, the cost of both sides, often it ends up in court to argue over. And I remember one time my dad recounting a story um, where he was before a certain judge and he was defending what he'd put in the bills. And the judge turned to the defendant and said, if Mr. Cooper included this as a cost, then it's a cost. End of the matter. Now, my dad was known <laughs> for the integrity of his work and the integrity of what he put in there. We've probably all seen crime dramas or films where um, lawyers go out for lunch, they chat a little bit about a case and they bill an hour um, to the client or then they charge the lunch as well. And um, not saying that that's an exact grasp on reality, but we know that kind of environment, that there's space for manipulating the truth. But what my dad was known for in that job was being integral, being having integrity and knowing that if he said this is a cost, it's a cost. He doesn't mess around with this. So that's what I think of when we think of integrity. And I think we see that throughout the life of Daniel. So the Bible says that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. And before we get to the lion's den, I just want us to reflect on this for a minute. Daniel was good at his job, and he held firm to Jesus. We've heard from Joy this morning. Her dedication to Jesus is not going to be compromised by what she is being called to do and how she's outworking that in fostering these mums and their babies. She's not prepared to, to compromise her devotion to Jesus, and she can find a way to do both of those together. And so I would suggest that if we find ourselves in jobs, in situations, in relationships, where we can't do our job well and what is expected of us, and hold true to what we believe God wants of us, if those two are in conflict, then we have to decide which one are we going to do. And I think we know that the answer is always Jesus. If we're in a conflict and we can't hold true to our beliefs, to our devotion to God, and something's being asked of us that isn't in line with that, 
we need to hold firm to Jesus and not compromise on that. And that's what we see in Daniel. And this is reflected in the New Testament in Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And if we find that we can't do that in situations we find ourselves in, then we need to ask God for the way out. As I was preparing this talk on Daniel and thinking about Daniel's obedience, I came across a commentary um, that spoke about Daniel in this way. It is highly probable that if Daniel had compromised by eating the king's food that we read about last week in Daniel chapter 1, he would have compromised about other things too, like bowing down and praying to other gods. He could have said, oh, I'll still pray to God, but I'll just pray to the king to spare my life, because after all, I can do a lot of ministry if God, if, for God if I survive. But that wasn't Daniel. When you obey God in the small things, it becomes a lot easier to obey God in the big things. So we see from the life of Daniel his integrity, whether it was something small or whether it was bowing down and worshipping an idol, he wasn't prepared to compromise. He'd built up obedience in everything that he could build on throughout his life. As I said, Daniel chapter 1, he's this young teenager. We now pick him up in Daniel chapter 6, and he's probably around 80, and he's had a whole life of obedience and devotion and service to God. But I think the principle for us is, are we being obedient to God in the small things, in the things where nobody's looking, in the thoughts that come into our head, in the actions that we take, in the way that we speak to people? Are we being obedient to God in the small things so that then when the big things come, we've got that habit and default of obedience to follow Jesus? So maybe God could be challenging us today. What areas of our life of obedience to Jesus have we let slip and we don't pay attention to because we discard them as only small things? But maybe God this morning is putting his finger on something for you. What obedience is he calling you to? Even if no one sees it, even if it's between you and God, it's obedience and he loves that. I think there's another clue to Daniel's integrity in his life and his obedience. And we find it back in Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I want to pick up that word resolved. It wasn't by accident that Daniel turned down the king's choice food. He resolved. He made a decision. He was determined. He set himself to not be defiled. And that was a rational decision. It wasn't a decision in the heat of the moment when the emotions, the hormones, the influences are there. It was a resolution that he was going to follow God and he was going to be obedient and do what pleases God. And as I thought about this, how do we, how do we apply this to our lives? It reminded me of a number of things um, that Chris and I have had to do through our jobs um, 
Chris and I have both uh, worked for international relief and development organizations and traveled to some very dangerous places. And so to help us prepare with this, we've gone through some extreme security training, including simulations of kidnapping and grenades and all sorts of things so that we know what to do. Because the idea is that if you know and you're taught what to do when you're in a safe space and you determine in your head, this is what I'll do, when you get thrown into the reality of it, you know what to do. You don't have to think and respond to your emotions. And so I've learned a number of very useful things. Like if I'm in an earthquake, I'm not going to run out of the building, which might be what my instinct would tell me, but I'm going to find a solid table or a door frame to hide in um, so that if the building collapses, I'm safe. If I go outside, there may be more dangers. So I've, I've resolved that if I'm ever in an earthquake, that's what I'm going to do. One of our friends who was in the kidnapping training with Chris, in the kidnapping uh, training, his wife got kidnapped, and the guy punched the captor in the face. Um, he has since resolved that he's not going to do that if his wife is ever kidnapped, because he realized that that escalated the situation, but he, um, that was how he would have reacted. And this was only a simulation, which tells you quite how realistic these simulations were. But it's the concept that we need to resolve and determine in advance, what are we going to do? So in general, that's a resolution of, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. But then there's, what are those small things of, what are we going to do when I'm in that situation? When I was at university, I determined I was not going to get drunk. I wanted to live for Jesus. So I knew when I go out with my friends, I'm not going to drink any alcohol. That's the easiest way to ensure I don't get drunk. Even though some of my friends, it was their ambition and to get me drunk before I was 21, um, they failed because I'd resolved that was not what I was going to do. So again, I would challenge us. What is it that we need to resolve in the calm light of day that when we're in those situations, this is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to be. Is it... I'm not going to get drawn into that gossip. I'm going to be faithful to my spouse. I'm going to speak blessing over my children. I'm not going to watch pornography. I'm going to be generous. What is it that we need to resolve so that when we're in that situation, we can hold on to what we've decided and we can act on that, not on our emotions, hormones, influences, situations that are around us? And we see, because Daniel, when he was a young man, resolved not to defile himself, that he would follow God's law, we see then, as an older man, that he refuses to bow down and pray to any other God but his God. So finally, the advisor said, we'll never find any basis for charge against this man unless against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Because they knew that Daniel would not compromise his devotion to God, regardless of what the king said and regardless of what he might face as a consequence. And so they do, they trick the king in uh, setting up a decree and saying that no one must pray to any other God um, but the king himself. And they say the penalty will be thrown Will be the person will be thrown into the lion's den. 
And so they do this. He writes the decree. Daniel hears about this. And what does Daniel do when he hears the decree? Well, I think we can guess from our knowledge of Daniel. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Daniel had built up this life of devotion to God, this discipline um, of worshipping God. And here we see, even faced with death in a lion's den, that he continues to worship his God. Why did he open the windows out towards Jerusalem? Why didn't he pray in private? Well, it wasn't um, to show off that he was praying, although Daniel definitely wasn't ashamed. It was because Daniel would have known that in the Old Testament, in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 6, when Solomon's dedicating the temple, it said, If ever my people find themselves in captivity, they should turn towards Jerusalem, pray, and their God will hear them. Daniel was a man of the scriptures. He knew God's promises. He knew, God, I find myself in a situation. There is no way out. I'm not prepared to compromise in praying and worshiping you. I'm not prepared to worship anyone else. But I know you, and your word is true, and I'm going to do as your word commands, and I'm going to pray and seek your intervention. We saw last week that Daniel uh, was always going back to God and asking for that supernatural help guidance, wisdom, uh, resolution to to a situation. And here we see, at the end of Daniel's life, him doing the exact thing. God, the only way out of this, the only way through this, the only way in this is with you. So Daniel prays, and the consequence of his faithfulness and obedience to God is that he doesn't get thrown in the lion's den, he goes home, he has a banquet, and he's all fine. Well, no, considering most people, the main thing they knew about Daniel last week was that he was in the lion's den, we see that the consequence of his devotion, his prayer, his faithfulness to God, is that he ends up in the lion's den. And so we've already said this as well through the testimonies this morning, that God can save us from a situation... And we can be delivered and we can see a miracle and we don't have to experience it and our faith can be built up. But sometimes God saves us through the situation and we have to go through it. But God is still with us and our faith is refined in that storm, in that fire, and he's with us. And sometimes we don't make it through the situation, but God saves us to go and be with him. And our faith is perfected because we're in heaven in eternal glory with him. And so regardless of of how Jesus is with us in these circumstances, he is with us. Whether we we avoid it, whether we go in it, or whether ultimately we meet him in that situation. So Daniel isn't spared from the lion's den. And the king begrudgingly throws him in the lion's den. The king realizes he's been tricked, but there's nothing he can do. His word is binding in this culture. And these decrees can't just be ripped up. 
So he throws Daniel in the lion's den, but he goes home and he paces around all night. And it says he didn't eat his choice food. He, he didn't know what to do because he, he knew Daniel and Daniel's integrity and the man Daniel was. But in the morning, he rushes to the lion's den um, at the first light of dawn. The king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." So here we see even the king, in the way he describes Daniel, he says, whom you served continually. Again, this shows us Daniel's integrity. The, whether it's the king or his Hebrew friends, they see Daniel's devotion and service of God. And Daniel's reply, they have not hurt me. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions because I was found innocent in his sight. Here, Daniel's speaking the truth. He knows who his real master is. He leads off with, you know, I've been found innocent in God. My, my real accountability is to God, the one true living God, and I've been found innocent in his sight. Your majesty, you know, he's being um, respectful to the king, but he's making sure the king knows this is your place underneath my God. My God is first and foremost in my life. And I'm pretty sure that even if Daniel had met his end in that lion's den and gone to be with Jesus, that he would have been praising God because his faithful God had met him in that circumstance. We get to see that God did save him through this and he came out the other side. Daniel's devotion to God, Daniel's um, belief that following God and doing what God says is a fingerprint through his whole life, that he wasn't prepared to compromise when he was a teenager and he's not prepared to compromise in his 80s. And I'm sure that through the middle was the same. And now it doesn't mean that Daniel is perfect. I'm sure... Um, because we know from the Bible that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not about our righteousness, our right doing, but we can be inspired by Daniel and the keys to his dedication and the keys to this life that he led. So he said he was devoted to God. His devotion was the, to the one true living God, and he resolved to live in obedience. He trusted that what God said was true. When he was faced with, with the lion's den, he trusted that if he humbled himself and prayed that God would hear him. 
He relied on God in everything. He didn't do it in his own strength. He knew that he needed supernatural intervention. Like we saw, that God sent an angel to close the mouth of the lion. It wasn't because of Daniel. It was because of his awesome God. And we've seen through, through what we've looked at today that he was a man of integrity. He was obedient in the small things and in the big things. He resolved not to defile himself, and whether that was in front of his friends, the advisors, or the king, it didn't matter, because ultimately it was his God in heaven who he served. And some things that helped him live like this, well, we saw last week his value for community and fellowship with the other believers. And we've seen today the way that he built in good disciplines, to, to, to pray, praying three times a day to God. It was a dedication. It didn't happen by accident. He'd built these disciplines of obedience. He'd built these disciplines of prayer into his life. So how does Daniel match up to our framework of faith that we've been looking at in, um, from Hebrews 11? Well, we said faith is being sure of what we hope for, even though we don't see the end results. And Daniel was faithful to God. Even though his people had lost the promised land and he was taken into captivity and ruled um, in another empire by an evil king, he was sure of who his God is. And he knew that God's word is true. Even at the end of his life, he prayed to end Israel's captivity, and he was pleading with God that they would return to the promised land because he knew that that was the promise God had given them. We say that we are commended for our faith, and it pleases God. And we see throughout Daniel's life the favor of God on his life. Through the revealing of dreams and the interpretations and the prophecies that we haven't even looked at um, in this series on Daniel, we know that he was given wisdom, he was given favor, and we see that God shut the mouths of the lions. We said faith is about realizing that we're strangers and foreigners in the earth and that we have a heavenly home that we're going to. And I think we can all see that throughout Daniel's life. He knew that he belonged to God, to a different world, not to Babylon, but to God. He was one of God's chosen people. And in exile, he remained faithful to God, even though the world around him was enticing him and alluring to something else. We said that faith is about understanding the past, looking to the future, and living in the present. Well, Daniel knew that he was a Hebrew, and he knew what that meant and what God had done for the Israelites. And we see from his interpretations and prophecies that God had revealed to him many things about the future and what God's everlasting kingdom is like. That gave him a very different perspective on what he saw around him. Faith is about what people do as a result of their belief. It's about action. And we see in Daniel, when the command came to kill the advisors, Daniel didn't just put his faith in God and wait. He acted. He sought God, and he made brave decisions. And when the decree came not to pray to any other God, Daniel held firm to his faith, the one true living God, and continued to pray to him and him alone. 
Also, faith doesn't guarantee us earthly success. Now, it's easy to look at Daniel and see all the success and the favor, but he was basically kidnapped and dragged across the known world and faced multiple death threats and perilous situations. He wasn't immune to the suffering of the people around him, even though he was favored by God. And even though the fall of Babylon was during his lifetime, by this point he was an old man and he remained in Babylon till he died. He never did make it back to the earthly promised land. However, he saw his part in God's plan and he knew the bigger eternal plan and he ultimately went to be with him. And to finish our study on Daniel, I just want us to briefly turn to Daniel chapter 9. This chapter is written in the same year that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And we don't know if it was before or after the encounter with the lions, but we know it was, they were both within the first year of King Darius's reign. And the beginning of this chapter tells us that while studying the scriptures, Daniel discovered that the captivity of Israel would soon come to an end. And Daniel had, Daniel had just started his new job at this point under a new king, yet he did not disregard or the discipline of studying the scriptures. We find that it was while he was reading the scripture that God revealed something. I remember at this point, Daniel's in his 80s, and he's got a daily devotion of studying the word of God. And it's then that God brings the revelation to him. Even though he's read it and read these over and over, God brings that revelation to him. And then he prays and he falls on his knees and pleads for the end of their, end of their captivity. So let's raise our expectation when we read God's word, that God can speak to us, reveal things to us, and ultimately we can meet him in his word. And I want to finish by looking at the awesome God that Daniel worshipped, how he managed to have this faith, how he could be a man of integrity. Why was he so devoted to God that he was prepared to risk his life on numerous occasions? I'm not going to read Daniel's whole prayer in Daniel chapter 9, but it starts in verse 4. I just want to pull out a few of the things that he says about God. Oh God, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Lord, you are righteous. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we are rebellious to him. Lord, you have fulfilled the words spoken against us. The Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. O oh Lord our God, we brought you, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We don't make, do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. I've just picked out there a few things about how Daniel describes God. I don't know about you, but wow, what an amazing God. From the way he's praying, we know that he knew God. He knew God's character. He knew what God was like. From the start of his prayer, declaring that God is the God who keeps his covenant of love. Through the characteristics that he proclaims here about righteousness, justice, mercy, truth, forgiveness, and might. And he ends with a declaration that we don't make requests of God because 
we're righteous, but because God's character and his mercy. So as we close our look at Daniel, we may not ever experience the depths of Daniel's life in being kidnapped and be, or being taken into captivity and sleeping in a lion's den. And we may never experience the highs of Daniel's life in being the most highly respected man in the land, but we serve the same God. So let's be inspired by the way that Daniel lived out his faith in God. Let's be in awe of the God that Daniel served because that's the God that we serve. And as Rachel reminded us, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I pray that we are driven to a deeper knowledge of him, a real knowing of him, and we devote our lives to him, and they compel us to live our lives that are pleasing to him. So three challenges for us as we end. Other areas of our lives where God is calling us to small acts of obedience. Are there situations which we may need to get out of because we can't be faithful to God in them? And finally, what do we need to resolve in the calm light of day to do to help us follow God? Father, we thank you that you are the same God that Daniel served. You are the awesome God that brought your people out of Israel. You are the God of righteousness and justice. You are the God with unfailing mercies. Father, we thank you that as we come to you, it's not because of our righteousness, but it's because of Jesus and it's because of who you are that enables us to live lives that are pleasing to you. God, help us to resolve this day that we will follow you. Help us in those small things to be obedient so that we might be obedient to you and please you in our whole lives. And Father, if there are things that, situations that we need to step away from because we can't be faithful to you in them, God, give us the boldness to do that. Thank you, Father, that it's by your Spirit that all of this is possible. Our righteousness is like dirty rags to you, but because of Jesus' sacrifice and your Spirit living in us, we can live lives that are pleasing to you, and you love us, Lord Jesus. You love us unconditionally, but help us. Be that sweet, sweet smell and aroma to you. Amen.